0: Um, I got to experience a little bit of heaven and a little bit of H-E double hockey sticks this week. Uh, Jenny and I were able to get out of town. We went out to Colorado last Sunday afternoon, and we were able to go out and stay with some friends and and, and do a little skiing in Colorado. And if you have ever stood at 11,200 feet in the snow and turned 360 degrees to see all of the snow-capped mountains, whether you believe in God or not, uh, you can't help but be moved and be a little impacted by by such a moment. And, And it was awesome. And and the little well-known secret about me is that I do like to ski. And so thanks to Dave Ramsey, we, we just we put that money in the envelope every month and, and we're able to find a way. And, and it was an awesome time. But we experienced a little bit of the other side too. We, we flew into Denver last Sunday evening and I had been checking the weather to make sure that we were going to be okay to get out to the mountains because you fly into Denver and you spend about a half an hour and you get to the mountains and then it's about another hour and a half. Uh, to actually get to your destination up and down over the mountains and everything. So you want to kind of choose the right car. Well, the weather looked fine, and it was time to choose our car, and they took us out in the lot. I, I didn't realize we'd actually get to select, and they were giving us all these different options. And the one option was a Lincoln town car. And I just thought, you know, for the humor of it all, I'm choosing the Lincoln. So before my wife could even say anything, I said, we'll take the Lincoln. And so they handed us the keys. And here we had this 30, 40-foot, you know, ship that we were taking out on the road here. And it was a lot of fun. And I, you know, I was kind of cruising down the highway a little bit and had the radio turned up. Well, we, we climbed into the mountains. And you spend about a half an hour, 45 minutes slowly, you know, going up and down, but, but climbing uh, to the Continental Divide. And at the top of the Continental Divide on I-70 is the Eisenhower Tunnel. It's two miles long. It's pretty spectacular. But you, you spend a lot of time, especially when you're about 10 miles away from it, just climbing. Well, it started snowing. And, and we didn't expect this at all whatsoever. And, and gradually, I mean, it went from rain to a little bit of freezing rain to this snow, and it didn't stop. I mean, it just kept snowing and snowing, and it was covered the road. The roads were snow-packed. Semis were pulling off the side of the road to put their chains on, and I just started finding that this Lincoln town car starts fishtailing a little bit, you know, and and we got to a point where we were just a few miles from the top where, I'm not kidding, for an hour, and we had a digital speedometer, it never went over one mile per hour, uh, we were bumper to bumper traffic, something obvious was happening up above, but, but trying to manage this Lincoln Town Car that, that was gradually fishtailing, even at one mile per hour, was a little frightening. But, but here's what frightened me even more so. I knew we were going to get to the top, but then we had to come down. And so we got to the very top and went through the tunnel finally, and then we had to take this eight-mile downhill. It's eight miles from the very top of the continental divide down into Silverthorne and Frisco. I I was scared to death. I I really thought we were going to lose our lives, and the only thing that would possibly save us was being in the big Lincoln, you know, that that if we hit the side of a mountain, we, we just might survive. Well, Thanks to the protection of, of the Lincoln and probably more importantly uh, to the grace and presence of God, uh, even with white knuckling, what was supposed to be a two-hour trip took about four hours. And so it was a little bit of both extremes the last few days, uh, a little bit of heaven and the uh, H-E double hockey sticks, uh, but, but, w- but we had a great time. And oddly enough, we're, we're talking about heaven and hell uh, this week. And, and no matter whether you do church regularly or not, everyone has a bit of a fascination with the end of the world, or or how it's all going to wind up in the very end. Uh, Think about some of the movies that we watch. You know, I'm going to mention a few movies, and and you tell me what they have in common. Uh, The Day After Tomorrow, or the, The Sum of All Fears, or Armageddon. Okay, well, well, each of these movies ha- has in common the, the topic of the end of the world, or at least the possibility of the end of the world. And, and it's not just in the movies that we watch either, but it's in the songs too. Uh, any fans uh, of the band R.E.M., a- any R.E.M. fans? Okay, we've got a few around the world. You remember one of their more popular songs? It's the end of the world as we know it, you know, and how does it continue? And I feel fine, you know? There's this fascination with the end of the world. You know, it's in movies, it's in music, uh, it's in best-selling books, too. How many of you read the Left Behind series, or at least a couple of those books? Okay, lots of hands around the room. I, I remember 65 million copies sold, I think. I remember seeing people read those books that went to church, that didn't go to church, that trusted Jesus, that didn't trust Jesus, but, but they were reading those books because they were kind of fascinated by the topic, fascinated with the subject, a, a great curiosity. Well, we're wrapping up our series today, The Story of Everything, and and we've saved the very best for last because we're talking about the end today. And here's what we believe. We're talking about eternity. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. We believe that the world is going to end, that the world as we know it isn't going to just keep on keeping on, as I like to write. We believe that the world is going to end, that the world as we know it isn't going to just keep on keeping on. Now, honestly, you don't need the Bible to tell you that because if you watch the news long enough or read a book or read an article, you'll you'll find that even scientists and astronomers believe that the world is going to end. Uh, In fact, I was reading that two men, Peter Ward and Donald Brownlee, scientists at the University of Washington, say that the sun will engulf our planet, Earth, in about 7.5 billion years. So you've got plans about 7.6 billion years from now, make a little bit of adjustments to them because we're we're not going to be here then. But as we look to the Bible this morning, I I want you to see that while Jesus spent time talking about the end of all things, he didn't call it or ever refer to it as the end of the world. In fact, Jesus called it the end of the age. And I want to show you that in Scripture. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 49, Jesus said, this is how it will be at the end of the age. And so the end of the ages, Jesus calls it. And Jesus said this about the end. Look, look over a few more pages to Matthew chapter 24, verse 36. Matthew 24, 36. It says, no one knows, Jesus said, about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. So who knows how it's all going to come down? Well, the Bible says that, that no one knows. The angels, they don't know. Uh, Even here in Scripture, we read that the Son that Jesus doesn't know, only the Father in heaven knows. And I think that's a great verse to keep in mind the next time you hear the television evangelist talking about the specific day when it's all going to end, that he doesn't know. Or or the next time you're walking through your college campus quad and somebody's screaming at you with the bullhorn, he doesn't know either. He doesn't know the exact day. Or, Or the scientist that's trying to sell a book, you know, he doesn't know. Only the Father knows as Jesus taught. You know, even Jesus didn't know when the end of the age will come. But while he doesn't know when the end of the age will come, he speaks about, Jesus spoke often about what will happen in the end of all things. Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 to 33. It says, when the Son of Man, Jesus, comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Verse 33, he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And so we find here in the scripture that while Jesus, when he came to the earth as a baby, sort of came uh, rather quietly, when he returns, as scripture teaches, he, he won't come quietly. He will return in all of his glory. Like we just sang about a few minutes ago, he will return as the victorious king of all things. And so it's here in Matthew 25 that Jesus is describing for us the final chapter in the story of everything, that at some point in the future, and no one knows when, Jesus will come back to this earth, and when he comes, the story of everything will come to a great culmination. It's what Jesus referred to as the end of the age. Now again, what, what, what's that all about when, when Jesus says the end of the age? Well, the age that Jesus is speaking about is the period of time that we are living in right now. It's this day when we come to know and realize how great God's love is. It's when we come to know and realize that God wants a relationship with each of us. You know, it's the day of the church, with a capital C. It's the day of this church, of Genesis Church. We're living in the age right now. And, and the age is the time where all living people, uh, everyone gets to decide what to do with the grace of God. We get to decide what to do with the grace of God, which ultimately determines everything about your final chapter in the story of everything. And so let me ask you that question here this morning as we get started. Have you made a decision in your life what you're going to do with the grace of God? Have you chosen to accept and to receive that that free gift given to you by God in the form of His Son, Jesus' new life, new hopes, new beginnings? Or are you still choosing to reject that free gift given to you? My guess is we've probably got people on both sides of it this morning. But at the end of the age... Time as we know it will come to an end, and life after death begins. And at that point, there will be no more decisions. There'll be no change in your mind. The ultimate destination that the Bible teaches about it, it teaches is heaven or it's hell. And you get to make the choice. I want to spend a few minutes this morning talking with you about heaven and hell, looking at each moment. But I want to start by looking at heaven for just a few minutes. Uh, Let me ask you this question. Do you ever kick back and wonder what heaven will be like? You know, maybe you've been in your car driving or just, you know, sitting somewhere, maybe even sitting in church when, you know, I was boring and didn't want to listen to me, just thinking, what's heaven going to be like? You know, and hopefully it's not white robes and halos and puffy clouds and stuff like that because I don't think that's what heaven is. But what's heaven really like? Well, in the movie, What Dreams May Come, starring Robin, Robin Williams, Uh, Heaven becomes this world of your own making. It's your own fantasy. It's whatever you want or or whatever wish you could, and you get it. That's what it is. And for Robin Williams, heaven was all about lakes and waterfalls and and mountains. It's a lake that you can walk across just as Jesus walked on the water. I mean, whatever you think. I mean, do you really, is heaven like this? I mean, is that the heaven that you dream of? Well, I I think there are a few misconceptions that we all have about heaven, uh, misconceptions that I've had. Uh, I, I want to look at just a few misconceptions, misunderstandings that we've had of heaven, uh, maybe some beliefs that aren't quite right. The, the first one is that sometimes we get wrapped up into thinking that heaven is whatever I want, that, w- that we get to define heaven, that heaven is whatever I want. And like the movie, we think that heaven is all about our, our, just all of your great pleasures and all of your great fantasies coming true. You know, it's kind of like the time uh, I, w- I went to Chicago with my wife and we went to Disney Quest. Uh, If you remember Disney Quest, I don't think it's there anymore, but uh, it was a simulated Disney. And so you could go in, you could ride all these virtual reality rides. And they had one ride in particular where you first went to a computer station and you designed your own roller coaster. It was pretty cool. And so on the computer, you put all the loops in it, the turns, the hills and everything. And then you could get in a simulator and ride the roller coaster that you just designed. And again, it was pretty fun. Well, for some people, that's kind of their impression of heaven. It's whatever I want, it's whatever I need, it's whatever pleasure, you know, pretty cool. Or or maybe for you, you know, if you love food, uh, heaven is all about the journey buffet, you know, if you've ever been to the journey buffet before, and so it's General sows, chicken and sushi and and chocolate fountains and, and every bit of it you want and you don't gain any weight. And you don't have to pay for it either. And so maybe for you, that's heaven. Or, or maybe for you, because you're a sports lover, uh, heaven is going to be playing in the Super Bowl. And you're playing for the team, and you recover the onside kick. You know, it doesn't get away. And you get it, and you put your arms around it, and your team, it, it, you go on to win the Super Bowl. Or maybe for you, heaven is a lot like shopping, you know, and it's just this eternal shopping spree that you get to go on with all of the great stores, and there's no limit, and there's no credit cards, and, and, and no lines, nothing. Well, the Bible doesn't really talk about what we get to do in heaven. It talks so much more, and even more clearly, about who we get to be with in heaven. And in the last book of the Bible, we, we read a, a little about this vision in Revelation chapter 21, verses 3 through 4, and in in Revelation, uh, John is receiving this vision of what the end will look like, and he records it for us. And in Revelation 21, verses 3 through 4, he's recording the end of all things, and here's what he writes, "And and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. So here heaven isn't described so much in terms of of recreation or relaxation. Instead, it is described as an uninterrupted, consistent, unbroken relationship or connection with God. And it's interesting that in this picture that we get of the end, it's exactly how the story of everything began. And if you remember from that very first week, as we talked about the Garden of Eden, the very beginning of all things, there was a perfect relationship that took place between God, between man and woman. It was right, it was whole. It was a relationship full of love, but but it went broken when when sin entered the picture. And so God's original plan in the beginning in Genesis, you you might say that the end is a lot like the beginning. Unbroken, uninterrupted, a, a perfect relationship with God where there's no sin. Now, we talked about how in the beginning, this God who is relational to the core, uh, he creates us so that we can be in a relationship with him. That's the reason why we were created. We were created to have a relationship with God. We were created to bring God all of the glory. And that's the same picture we get of heaven. Heaven is described in relational terms because ultimately it's this culmination of a life lived in pursuit of a relationship with God. Now, Now, think about that for a second. All right, if heaven is about an unbroken relationship with God or with Jesus, I think it brings up a good question, a question worth considering today. John Piper, uh, pastor, writer, he 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 asked it like this, suppose you were to land in heaven one day to find that Jesus wasn't going to be there. Would you be disappointed? Suppose you were to arrive in heaven one day only to find out that Jesus wasn't going to be there. Would there be any part of you at all that would be disappointed? Because it's a tough question. The truth is that if you would be happy in heaven without Jesus, then you don't really want heaven. Because heaven isn't about what we get to do or it isn't about what we get or what we get to experience. It's about being with Jesus. The scripture clearly teaches that heaven is this unbroken, untainted, completely restored relationship with God who made you and I for just that reason, to have that relationship with him. So one misconception is that heaven isn't, you know, simply what we want. The second one is that uh, we sometimes get caught up into thinking that heaven is immaterial, that heaven is immaterial. And uh, that heaven is about this place where our immaterial soul escapes, escapes from this failing planet. Now, heaven is this place where we are freed from our bodies and limitations and we get to spend eternity in, in non-physical cycles of positive energy and engrams and something. No, it's not like that. I'm just kidding. You know? but, but people think that. People believe that, that, that heaven is this immaterial experience. You, know, you hear people say, I, or, I, you hear people say I'm, I'm going to heaven and so I won't need this body anymore. You know, so I can do whatever I want with. Well, that's only partly true. And some of you are like, great. So that means that I'll always keep this nose or I I have to hang on to these thighs forever or something. You know, but well, the whole truth is that you you won't have to keep this body. The Bible describes our resurrected bodies as perfect and as imperishable. The Bible calls them glorified bodies that we will receive in heaven one day. Now, ladies, that doesn't mean that your husband's going to automatically get a Matthew McConaughey body. All right, I'm sorry to tell you that. And, man, that doesn't mean that your wives are automatically going to get it. Well, I better not go there. I'm just going to leave that one alone and just kind of move on. But there's another misconception, okay? And the other one is, and I think this is a common one, that heaven is where I go. That heaven is where I go. Well, the Bible tells us at the end of the age, everyone will be resurrected with new bodies. And that's where this third misconception comes in. Because we tend to think about heaven as this faraway magical place that we'll all travel together to one day. Uh, But look look specifically at what Revelation says again in Revelation 21. Again, this is a vision of the end. John writes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. Verse 2. And then I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. Now, I recognize there's a lot of stuff in there that we don't have time to get into today. But the point that I want you to see is that that we see this picture, that John sees this picture of the new Jerusalem, which will be present in heaven, coming down from heaven. But, but what, what John is getting to is that, that heaven will ultimately be here on this earth. The, the God's plan, that God's eternal kingdom is about this earth where we live. It's about new Jerusalem coming down to there. Eternity isn't about going to heaven one day. It's about heaven coming here. And the story of everything doesn't boil down to, Jesus died for me, I got a ticket to heaven one day, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fly there with everyone else one day. It's about Jesus coming here, and heaven is coming with him to restore you, and me, and this entire broken material world, recreated, restored, and renewed. And that's why everything that we do right now as a church here matters. Because when we we step into someone's broken life and help to put back the pieces, we're partnering with God in making things right in this world once again. When when we send a team to Haiti to be a part of a a great work, a great recovery effort that's happening, there, it matters. Because we are partnering with God in the work that he is doing to make things right in this world once again. You know, in your office, in your neighborhood, in your school, it all matters. Our purpose, our reason for existence as a church. we, We are partnering with God in the work that he's doing to get this place right. And it will ultimately be fulfilled. It will ultimately be put back together when Jesus comes again one day. You know, I think a lot of us were taught or were given this impression that one day we would fly with Jesus to heaven. And that we would turn around and watch the earth like it were the Death Star in Star Wars as it explodes. You know, and we all cheer and everything and and we travel again onto this faraway place. But the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches that Jesus is coming again and that when he comes again, heaven will come with him. That all of creation will be recreated and redeemed. Everything, every living thing will, will live with him for all eternity. So heaven isn't about like someplace out there beyond Jupiter or something. It will be here on earth physically forever. So in just a bit of review, what's heaven? Well, the story of everything tells us that, that God's ultimate purpose is to make this world right again. To put people's lives back together. To put this world back together. It culminates with heaven and God does his work by bringing us into a relationship with him that is perfect and unbroken, like the beginning. That that heaven, that God does his work by restoring us to a perfect body, like the beginning. And this world that we messed up, that Jesus will come again and he will restore and renew all things to God's original dream and intent. And in doing so, he will bring heaven to earth. That heaven won't be up there or out there somewhere. It's a new heaven and a new earth where in Revelation twenty one, four and five we get a picture where it says, He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Which means no more sin, no more pain, no more brokenness, no no more divorce, no more war, no poverty no more leukemia, no more Alzheimer's, no more cancer, no more death. Verse 5, he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. I I love those words right there where, where the king of kings says, I am making everything new. And the implications of these verses, of this teaching, are huge. They really are. As as I was thinking about them these last few days, I I think two things specifically that that these words do in me. The first one is that at the end of my story, at the end of my personal story, nothing matters more than whether or not I chose to follow Jesus Christ. That is the most important thing. Uh, At that moment, my bank account won't matter. My, my mutual funds won't meet a thing. Uh, the house that I have, the car that I drive, the job title. At the very end of all things, when Jesus Christ returns, the only thing that will matter is whether you chose to follow Jesus Christ or not. The second thing is that until Jesus returns or my story comes to an end, I am here to partner with God in restoring his dream for this world to as many people as possible. That's my purpose. Uh, That's your purpose. That we are responsible to help restore uh, His dream, God's dream, for this world and for as many people as possible. Uh, You know, that's why our mission as a church is helping people find their way back to God. Because it's the only thing that will matter in the end. Uh, Whether you chose to follow Jesus and, and the people that you helped lead to know Jesus Christ, that's all that matters. You know, and, and that's why your neighbors are important. That, that's why I believe that people that God has put you next to right now, whether it be in a house or an apartment building or a dorm, it matters. Uh, your friends, you know, the, the family members in your life right now who don't know Christ, even the ones you can't stand, you know, they matter. They're there for a reason. You're in their life for a reason. The guy you don't know at work right now. You know, that's why I asked you last week. That's why I'm challenging you to think about, do you have one person that comes to mind one person right now that you're rubbing off on in a good way, in a positive way. You know, one person that you're, you're, you're thinking about uh, bringing hope to, bringing life to. I heard a pastor one time say, he, he challenges people. He said, you know, what if you chose one person to pray for at one o'clock for one minute every day? Would you be willing to commit the rest of your life to that? To pray for one person at one o'clock for one minute every single day? And, and rather than trying to get your mind around all of the lost people in the world today, what if it became one person for you? Could that be a greater motivation to realize that this person that comes to your mind might not spend eternity with you one day? And are you okay with that? And if you're not okay with it, and I pray that you're not, what if that became your motivation? What, what, if, what if all of a sudden that helped this this idea of helping people find their way back to God makes sense to you. It's just one person. It's one person in your life. And if your heart doesn't break for lost people, you know, pray with me this prayer. Pray that God will give you a heart like his. That's what I'm praying, that God will give me a heart like his and and maybe that should be your prayer too. Now, while I hate to do it, we, we have to shift gears to talk about the other side of eternity. You know, we we, we can't talk about the forever of heaven without talking about the alternative. You know, we we love the no more death. We love the no more crying. We love the no more pain. We love it so much that we want to forget about the reality of hell altogether. But a recent survey uh, was asked of a number of people about their views on hell. Uh, Here's what they found. These are followers of Jesus, Christians and non-Christians. 60% said that it was a place of eternal separation from God or a place of suffering or torment. Uh, 60% of people believe this about hell. 28% said that hell was just purely symbolic, that there was no reality to it, it was just a symbol. And 12% said it didn't exist, it doesn't exist at all. How about you? Uh, are, are you comfortable uh, with, with any of those? May, do you find yourself in any of those places right now? I mean, what is it that you believe? Well, here's what I believe, and here's what we believe as a church. The Bible is very clear that hell exists and that it is not a symbol. That is a real place. And guess who talks about hell more than any other person? Jesus did. I mean, Jesus was willing to tackle the subject that no one else wanted to talk about. Matthew chapter 25, verses 41 and 46. Jesus said, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Verse 46 then. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. And so Jesus clearly defines two places, a place of eternal punishment and a place of eternal life. Matthew five twenty two again, Jesus is teaching. He says, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin, but anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Now again, there's a lot of other things that Jesus is talking about here that we're not going to get into, but I want you to see where Jesus clearly uh, speaks of this this place, this eternal reality, hell. Matthew 18, verses 8 and 9, if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter eternal life, or your inner life maimed or crippled, than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. Mark nine forty three. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go into hell where the fire never goes out. Now, how about those for uplifting verses this morning? If you're new to Genesis Church, going get you another cup of coffee or something, you know, another bagel. You know, great, great uplifting words here. But Jesus isn't using this language here to be scary or something. I mean, the word Jesus uses here for hell is the word Gehenna. Gehenna was a real place, a real place that existed in Israel that everyone knew about. Uh, It was a valley outside of Jerusalem that served as the city dump. And people would take their garbage there. And historians say that the fires of Gehenna never went out, that that people would take their garbage there to be burned. When someone died without any family ties at all whatsoever, they, they would take their body and throw it into the pits of Gehenna. In other places of Scripture, the Bible talks about all of the worms that were there. And these, like, weren't night crawlers and stuff that you go fishing with, but he's talking specifically about maggots. And these verses, in these verses, Jesus is using using powerful imagery to show us that hell is this place of ongoing spiritual decomposition. Now, I would love to get to the very end of all things and find that hell did not exist or doesn't exist. You know, another one once said, I would love to get to the end and find that hell is not real. But the argument for this is weak. It's weak. And I think it's one of the misconceptions that we have sometimes about hell is that it's ah, just a fictitious place that God's using to make us afraid or something. And like we have all these misconceptions for heaven, I think we've got a number of misconceptions for hell too. Gary Larson, uh, writer, cartoonist for The Far Side. I think he's given us a number of these. I, I brought a few of them uh, this morning to show with you. Here we've got two of uh, Satan's cronies in the background. It's the obvious fires of hell. You've got a guy pushing a wheelbarrow whistling, and it says, you know, we're just not reaching that guy. You know, he's just not getting it. Another one, another far side uh, doorway says, Gates of Hell. People are checking it. Okay, sir, would you like Inferno or non-Inferno? Ha, just kidding. It's all Inferno, of course. I just get a kick out of saying that. Uh, The third one is there are three doors, three rooms in hell. One says homicidal maniacs. The middle one says terrorists. The last one says people who drive too slow in the fast lane. (laughs) That room's the most crowded. You know, it's funny though. Like even with somebody like Gary Larson or The Far Side or other cartoons or movies that you've seen or something, I mean, we, we draw up all these images in our mind of what hell is and whether it's subterranean caves where people are tormented by devils with pitchforks and horns and stuff. It's not what the Bible says about hell. And it it bothers me a bit when I hear people say, you know, whether it be on TV or in real life, you know, you can go to hell. Or I think about a t-shirt that we saw in a ski shop last week that said, when hell freezes over, I'll ski those mountains too. I remember seeing a book one time, the title of it was, um, I Sure Hope There's Beer in Heaven. You know The truth is, you know, there's nothing humorous or funny about hell. You know, it, it's, there's nothing enjoyable about it. There's no parties scheduled for there for people who simply just decide, I, I don't want to have anything to do with Jesus. And, and Jesus wants us to get this. And it's why he taught about hell. Hell, hell is not the place where, where God sends you when you die. And it's like he's saying, tough luck. You know, look who came out on top now. You know, you had your chance. I mean, God doesn't send people to hell with a smirk on his face. Hell is not a place where people end up by accident. And this is very important, and I want you to hear this. In fact, God doesn't send people to hell. Ending up in hell is literally a choice that everyone gets to make. And what hell tells us is that God will not ever force himself upon you. That you get to make the decision for yourself what you want to do with Jesus, what you want to do with the grace of God. You know, what is hell? Well, specifically, you know, the Bible doesn't share much, but we see Jesus spoke of hell as a place of fire and of utter darkness. It's eternal punishment. Uh, It's a place of eternal isolation, eternal separation from God and others. Most theologians believe that the images we get from Scripture about hell are metaphorical. But metaphorical doesn't mean it's not real. When metaphors are used in the Bible, it's because language falls short of the biblical truth. It's too difficult. It's something that can't be described. And fire and darkness are metaphors to describe what happens when we completely lose the presence of God. We believe that hell is a very real place. Now, this is a difficult subject to grasp as a Christian. And if you're you're a, a new believer or if you're new to Genesis or maybe this is your first time... I realize that this is the subject that kind of puts God's reputation out on the line. Because if you were here week one in the story of everything, we talked about the fact that God is a God of love. And I know that the question that you might be asking that I've asked before is that, well, if God is a God of love, how do you put that alongside of the fact that God will allow somebody to go into eternal punishment or go to hell one day? But I want you to see, and this is important, God finds no pleasure at all in anyone going to hell. To be honest, it's exactly the opposite. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 and 9, Peter was writing to a group of Christians. He says this, he, he writes, but, but do not forget this one thing. And my prayer for you this morning is that you'll hear this and you won't forget this either. With the Lord a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Now hear this, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. This is the heart of God. This is the God of love, that God is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. You know, what does this verse say? It says that God is patient and he is compassionate, that that he is not late in returning right now. Uh, He is not sitting on his hands while the world or your world falls apart around you right now. In fact, here's what I think it is, and here's what I like. It's almost as if God is stalling. He's delaying. And in that, he's willing to put his reputation on the line as he stalls and he waits for you to receive his grace and love. Or or maybe you've already made that decision and it's not for you, but it's your brother. And God is stalling. He's waiting for you right now. Or He's waiting for your sister. Maybe it's your husband. Maybe it's a next-door neighbor. Maybe He's waiting for your son to get it. He's patient, not wanting anyone to perish. He's waiting on you and me to do our part here on Pleasant Street, in Westfield and Carmel, and Fishers, and Anderson, and Haiti. And God is stalling because He doesn't want anyone to perish. And what we find is that hell is all about people who choose to say no to God in this life and choose to live apart from Him instead, and they will forever live with that choice in eternity. In the story of heaven, hell is not a declaration that God doesn't love us. Now, C.S. Lewis said it this way, and I I think it's so strong, that even with hell, God continues to demonstrate His love by allowing you to make your own decision with what you want to do with your life. What you want for your own eternity. That even, even with hell, God demonstrates his love in allowing you to make your own decision what you want to do with your eternity. God will not force his love on you. You There's so much to know about hell, and and we could talk a lot about it, but but here's what I want you to see and know this morning. It's pretty simple. Hell is real, hell is bad, and hell is final. How's that for a strong theological uh, statement? Hell is real, hell is bad, hell is final. So, as we wrap up this series and finish up here this morning, the story of everything, I want to be crystal clear on how the story ends. Each of us gets to write the own ending to our story. We've been afforded that that opportunity. You can choose with your life, you can choose heaven or hell. You you can choose Jesus, or you can choose to reject Jesus with your life. It's about whether or not you want a relationship with the Creator, with God Himself, with the Lord Almighty, who created you and loves you so much that He came in the person of Jesus just for you. And God has done everything, and He will do everything that He can to get your attention uh, so that you can have a relationship with Him, you know, to keep you and me from choosing hell. But if you want to choose your own way, here's the thing, God won't force His love upon you. He will always give you that space to make that decision for yourself. You know, the point is that we all have a choice, but, but here's the thing, and don't miss this. Making no choice, choosing to ignore the reality, is the same as rejecting. God, it's the same as rejecting Jesus. And it's impossible for me not to sound the alarm on this subject, you know, on this choice that we all have to make, because the stakes are high, and, and not only for each of us individually, but also for this world that we live in. I mean, we have the opportunity to not only spend the rest of our lives, you know, of this life and the next with Jesus, but we have the chance to join God in the most powerful work that he's doing to make things right here in Hamilton County again. I mean, we are a part of the most powerful mission on this planet. It's putting things back together the way that God intended it to be. I don't know about you, but I remember the exact day that I invited Jesus Christ to be the Lord of my life. When I was 12 years old, I I went forward at our church at the end of a service and I met with a group of people up front. Uh, Sat down with another man and then ultimately with one of the pastors in in my church and gave my life to Jesus and I was baptized. And I know that on that day, my life was marked. Uh, I know that day that as the Bible says, that I became a citizen of heaven. And and now, you know, I eagerly await a savior from there. That my hope uh, is found in Jesus Christ, that my eternal life is heaven. It's a choice that I made. And I want that for my neighbors. And I'm praying that God would give me a heart like his that when heaven comes, you know, my neighbors, my friends will be there too. I want that for my kids. And I realize that that's one of the most important purposes that I have right now in this life is to make sure that each of my children, that Joel and Luke and Kate all make a decision for Jesus Christ. And I want that for Joel's t-ball team too, you know. And I'm praying that God would give me a heart like his to realize that even when I'm helping to coach that t-ball team, and that I remember that those kids are a part of my purpose. I want that for the people in my connection group, um, and I don't want to be in heaven without any of you. I I want that for each of you, but the choice is yours. You get to write the final chapter in your story. Here's how we're going to wrap up uh, today. When you you came in today, uh, you should have received a a little slip of paper. If you didn't get one, don't worry about it. Don't panic. But if you did, uh, on the top it just simply says the next chapter. And here's what I want you to do this morning. We're going to take just a few minutes before we sing our last song and then pray and we'll be done. Uh, I would love for you to think about what you're going to do with this. You know, and if you've had the privilege of being here over the last six weeks and being a part of each week, you know, you've got perfect attendance. Uh, my prayer is that there's something that God's been doing inside of you that he wants you to do something with now. And if you've missed any of the weeks, uh, you, you can listen to those online or whatever. But, but maybe it's this. Maybe it's, it's recognizing for the first time in a long time that God is a God of love, as the Bible says, that God is love. And, and my prayer is that just the reality of that in your life, the reminder of that in your life changes you. That all of a sudden you move from seeing this God as an angry God who's looking down on you, ready to judge you, as a God who sincerely loves you, and that could motivate and change the way that you live. Or maybe for you, it's looking at the reality of sin and the damage that sin has done in this world. And, and maybe you look at your life right now and some of the pain that you've been dealing with, and you can trace it all the way back to your childhood, to something that happened into your life that was obviously sin, it wasn't your fault, but you know that it's messed with you. It's messed with so many years. Or, or you're caught in a pattern of sin right now in your life. You're making some poor choices, and, and, and you begin to realize and understand that if, if, I, if I give all of this over to Jesus, I don't have to carry it anymore. And maybe that's what the next chapter is like for you. Or, or maybe it, it's seeing Jesus you know, for, for the first time or just a reminder that you've put your hope in him. That you can't earn your salvation because he did. Because he died on the cross. You know, because he allowed the nails to go through his hands. That he died for your forgiveness. And maybe that's, maybe that's the new reality in your next chapter. Uh, maybe, it's, maybe it's the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the fact that God himself, if you're a follower of Jesus, that God himself lives inside of you. And maybe that gives you the freedom to go live courageously. Or it gives you the freedom to go make a bold decision. Or you're going through this horrible season right now in your life and you're understanding, you know, God's walking through this with me. I, I can do it. We're going to make it maybe that's the next chapter for you or or just seeing yourself as a part of this church this age we're living in that god has given you a specific purpose that he's given you gifts that he is ready for you to use that he's put a person in your life and maybe over these last few weeks you're finally realizing that i have someone to be praying for to rub off on to to be a stream of living water to be a stream of hope for and maybe that's what you do with all this or or maybe it's exactly what we've talked about this morning that you know and you're a bit uncomfortable with the fact that your eternity is not set on heaven right now because you've never invited Jesus Christ to be the Lord of your life. And you can do that today. We're we're gonna take just a couple of moments. I I wanna give you this space and this time uh, to kind of do what you need to do. Maybe you wanna write some things down. Maybe you need to write a name down. Maybe you need to write a prayer. Maybe you need to say a prayer. You do whatever you do. The band's just gonna play for a few minutes. What's the next chapter for you? What do you need to do as you go from here today?